Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Ecclesiastes, we have been studying for the last few weeks. Last week, we finished chapter 3, verse 15. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he's on a quest to find purpose in life under the sun. And what that means is he is looking from a worldly perspective without considering God's sovereignty. He's disregarding God's providence. He is testing everything people look for, look to for meaning in life. He's tested things like the newness of things, getting new toys, right? He's tested wisdom. He's tested pleasure, possessions, legacy. A lasting legacy doesn't satisfy either. Why is that? Because you work so hard for something you leave, and and not always, but in some cases you leave to children who have no appreciation for it. But he is testing all these things, and his conclusion is that apart from God, it's all vanity. And remember what we said vanity means. For the most part, when you see this word vanity in the book of Ecclesiastes, it just means it doesn't satisfy. And so chapters 1 and 2, we see Solomon describe the extent of this search for the purpose of life under the sun and just conclude there's none apart from God. In chapter 3 through through chapter 6, where we are now, he shares just some observations he's claimed during the course of the search, and that's where we are. I encourage you, remember the theme, right? Remember the theme of this book, Life Without God is Meaningless. But also for the believer, life can be really frustrating. Life can be really, really frustrating. Some of you can identify with that right now. You're going through some very frustrating times in life. Solomon, he's not a cynic. He's not a pessimist, per se. As you're reading, I did the scripture, reading the scripture uh, text this morning. You've got to be thinking, wow, what's he going to come up with this morning? reading this text. It's kind of a dreary uh, text this morning to read. A little bit um, Solomon is not really prone to melancholy, to being melancholy. He's just a realist. He's looking at life. And he understands that life is difficult sometimes. But remember as we study this text, we have to remember Solomon's conclusion. In chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, remember his conclusion was what? Fear God, keep His commandments because judgment is coming. We have to keep that in mind as we study through this text. So he's not faithless, but yet he does have questions about life. And sometimes he doesn't necessarily have all the answers. We've seen his observations in the first part of chapter 3. Last week we saw that that we as humans were ruled by time. And some would say we're even victims of it. Right? We don't control the seasons of life we are in, nor can we prevent them from changing. The necessity of war, caring for aging parents, going through chemotherapy, burying, burying a loved one. These are all things that we neither long for nor can we prevent. They are just seasons of life that we pass through. 
So that's what I mean when I say Tom rules over us. But look at chapter 3, verse 11, real quickly as we review. Solomon tells us that God has made everything beautiful in its time. We said last week, time rules over us, but God reigns supreme over time. He's sovereign over time. We don't understand life's happening, but know that God is sovereign over every single detail in our lives. He's governing all these events. He's using all these disappointments as well as joys, right, for His purposes. We see this elsewhere in Scripture. Proverbs 16, 9, The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. A, a more familiar text, Romans 8, 28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. He also has a purpose for, our, for the emptiness we feel in line. You ever feel empty? Look at verse 11, part B. He says, also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. See, there's a God has a purpose even for the, the longing in our soul for meaning in life. Some of you have you uh, have you thought lately, man, there's got to be more life than this. Yeah, there is. There is. I'm gonna read part of the quote I read last week from C.S. Lewis. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably, earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it in the first place, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. To C.S. Lewis, he had the desire to satisfy his longing for joy. And that's what drove him to Jesus. That's what drove him to Jesus. The emptiness in our souls, the longing for something more. There's got to be more life than this. God is even using that for his purposes, to draw you to himself. But difficulties in life make us doubt God's sovereignty. He's, he's saying God is sovereign, God is sovereign, but yet we have difficulties in life. And we'll look at some of those difficulties today. And the first point this morning, from verses 16 through chapter 4, verse 3, is that injustice, death, and oppression cause us to long for God. But some of you, you're probably thinking right now, well, I just said there are some difficulties in life that make us doubt God and His purposes. Well, well I did. But those things should help us see our need for God. Well, let's look at verse 16, and I'll explain that. You say, I've got a fork of tongue up here. I'll explain what I'm talking about. Look at verse 16 and 17. One of the most uh, difficult things to have to deal with is injustice. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Man, one of the most difficult things to deal with is, is injustice. Uh, in fact, um, we find that those who should be upholding justice oftentimes or sometimes are, in fact, those who are not just, right, or unjust. Um, but there's nothing makes us more uncomfortable than injustice. And that was proven to me by my wife. My wife, if you know Jenny, she's a pretty meek gal, pretty quiet, spoken uh, young girl and uh, young lady. And one of the reasons that I married her was she's so meek and gentle. And uh, we were on our honeymoon and, uh, in, in Washington. And we're at, in Seattle at the airport. And we're coming back. And we had had something, uh, several things happen. And 
we had called Delta and we asked them if we could change our flight from one day to the next. And they were like, well, sure you can do that. I was like, well, look, we, we, can we do it without a fee? And she assured us, of course, there's no problem. We would love to change your flight for you. And we asked, again, so there's no fee. We're not going to be charged a fee. No, no fee. There's no fee. It's the same flight, just a different day. There's no fee. We can change your flight. Well, we get in line um, to catch our flight from Seattle back to Memphis after our honeymoon. And we get to the, to the checkout counter, and uh, the lady um, uh, takes her ID, and she says, well, that's going to be $200. We're like, well, what do you mean, $200? Well, it's a $100 fee to change your ticket. We're like, well, no, we, we just talked to the lady two days ago, and this is who we talked to, and she was in Dallas, and she said this and this and this and this. And the lady just looked at us and said, no, it's a $200 fee, $100 for each ticket change. Well, well, that's not what they told us. We asked that repeatedly. And they said, she said, look, $200, you're not getting on the plane. And this sweet, little, meek, soft-spoken woman began to climb over the counter <laughs> with, with, with teeth clenched, right? And, and because there was this injustice taking place. They told us one thing, and now they're, guess what? They got us caught. So what do we do? We can't do anything. We, we sit there, we try to be reasonable, and then we were unreasonable and to no avail, right? So we end up having to pay $200, plus we missed our flight and uh, as we're arguing about it. But uh, I saw this, it, nothing makes us angry than injustice, and that was the thing in, with Jenny. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because we moved to China, we lived in China for 10 years, and there you see injustice all the time. So you're constantly having this lion roar within you because of injustice. We hate, we hate it. We hate injustice. And in, in fact, you think about the the helpless and the, the weak and the defenseless. And nothing gets us angrier than to see them oppressed and mistreated. But you know, it, it, it's reported that 42 million abortions occur in our world every year. That's 115,000 a day, according to David Platt in his book, Counterculture. Babies are the most defenseless, helpless segment of our population. Yet daily, even in our own country, right, babies are being killed, and our government, a large part of our government, they support it, and not only that, they, many of them want to fund it. But what injustice is taking place every day and not only that, but other things happen, right, in our country where the criminal that's committing heinous crimes, they're portrayed as the victim, and the righteous are mistreated. We see it, don't we? And more and more, we'll see it, I think, more and more as the days move along. But he calls us to be, calls us to question things. Well, how can this be? And some people can, will even take that farther and say, well, God, well, if you exist and, and you are sovereign, how could you allow this? Verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing about, that they may see that they themselves are a beast. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast are the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast. For all is vanity. I'll go to one place. All are from the dust, and the dust they all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. So here's Solomon. He's on this quest. And he's, he's 
observing all these things, and he's just making some observations here. First, we see injustice. He calls us to question God. But all of a sudden here, you see, what about death? And death is, is a given, right? I say it all, time and time again, right? Um, at funerals. Yeah, we, we have a funeral. Some of you had a funeral this week in your family. And, and the fact of the matter is, we'll have another one soon. Not sure who's going to be laid to rest, but it's going to be one of us. It's a given. There's no escape, right? But Solomon, as he's, as he's observing this, you see, well, animals and people, well, they have the same fate. So what's the use? What's the use? We're all going to die anyway, right? That's what, he, that's what Solomon is saying here. It calls him to question the Lord. What's the use, God? Are we, we all have the same fate? Well, we know that that is true. We all die, right? And that's what we're kind of on the equal footing, right? Because death is inevitable. Pretty depressing, right? In fact, Psalm chapter 49 says, Man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beast that perish. Pretty depressing. And Solomon, he's seeking these answers, and he doesn't always have the answers. He's just, he's just saying these things out loud to us, right? But we know in regard to death that there is more for us. That same psalm, a few verses later, says, God will ransom my soul from the power of death, for he will receive me. See, unlike animals, our lives are extended beyond the grave, right? For children, sorry, all dogs don't go to heaven. That's not true. But we can, right? We can be with God for all eternity because of Jesus, right? Jesus became a man. He lived this life, walked this earth. He died in my place, in your place. He was buried on the third day. He rose from the grave later to ascend to heaven where he is, as John chapter 14, verse 3 tells, he is preparing a place for us. Because of the work of the cross, we can know God. We can have an eternity with Him. Now let's look at chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Again, I saw the oppression that are done under heaven. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. There's people that are oppressed in the world. And they have no one to comfort them. That's true, isn't it? On the side of their oppressors, there was power and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. There's injustice, right? It calls us to doubt God, maybe. There is impending death, right? Our fate that awaits all of us as created beings. But also oppression. It calls us to, to doubt God. You think, man, have you seen oppression? Have you seen the stories of the oppressed in the world? And there's a lot of people in the world that are oppressed. In India, thousands are taken from villages, children, especially girls, average age about 12, and they're promised, their families are promised that they will have a job in the city. And so they're, they're taking these little young girls and they take them to the cities and they're enslaved. It's happening every day. It's happening right now. Young girls being forced to work, doing heinous things, 
and there's no way out for them. There's injustice, there's death, there's oppression. It causes us sometimes to question the Lord. Are you really sovereign? Are you really in control of all of these things? How in the world is this for our good and for your glory? But look at verse 17. How do we make sense of it? Solomon, he says, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. So instead of driving us away from God, it should all these issues, this injustice, impending death, oppression of the weak, it should cause us to seek the Lord. Our only hope for justice is God. He's not looked the other way. In fact, He will one day make all things right. Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, Moses says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? I mean, think about the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 40. It says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, two for a two. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the cheek, you know this passage, don't you? Slaps you on the cheek, what do you do? Turn the other one. If anyone will sue you and take your clinic, let him have your cloak as well. How do you do that? I mean, that's the most difficult thing to do as believers, right? Just turn the other cheek. Yeah, just let it go. But everything in us, says not to. Get revenge, right? Retaliate. But that's what Jesus is saying. No, believer, you don't retaliate. Why? How, do, how can you turn the other cheek? How can you not get revenge? How can you not make it right yourself, right? No, leave that to the Lord. How can we do that? We do it when we know that God is just. The injustice of the world. The oppression that takes place. That's taking place even now. How do you, how do you deal with that? You seek the Lord. God, I know. You are just. One day, all will be made right. Injustice, death, oppression. It should cause us to long for the Lord, seek the Lord. Because He is a just God. No sin goes unpunished. Second thing we learn from this text, look at chapter 4, verse 4 through 6. We need to find balance in work and rest. Solomon, he's making observations, right? As he's on this quest. Remember, he has money. He's a, he's a king at peace. He doesn't have to go to war. He has all the time on his hands. So what is he doing? He's observing, using all the wisdom that God gives him. He's making these observations. Look at verse 4 through 6, chapter 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill and work come from man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. We all, um, oftentimes, we want to keep up with the Joneses, right? What keeps the Joneses going, right? Mr. Jones, what keeps him going? Well, Solomon says it's envy. It's envy. Envy drives many to work, so they cause others to envy them, and the cycle just continues, right? We're just on this race to see who has more stuff, and more money, and a nicer house, and a nicer this, and a better that, right? But with envy as their motivation, work's never going to satisfy. Look at verse, verse 5. Solomon, he, he sees two types of people. The fool, so you got one that's, that's working all the time, right? He's a workaholic. He's doing everything he can to make a dollar. To have more stuff, right? Because he's envious of others. He covets others' things. So he wants to work so he can have one of his own. In fact, he wants one better. But then verse 5, you see the, the fool, right? 
folds his hands and eats his own flesh. What's that mean? It's just talking about being a lazy person, right? You have one fool who doesn't want to work. You're a fool if you, you want kids. You're foolish if you want a good grade, but you don't study. Yeah, you don't study. You don't, don't apply yourself. You're not going to get good grades, right? The fool is the man who doesn't work, but expects to get paid. And wow, that's an increasing problem, isn't it, in our country? You're a fool if you want to work. I mean, if you want to eat, but you don't work, right? Solomon says that's a foolish thing. But he, better is a handful of two hands full of toil and striving after wind. Right? There's a balance. You have this, it's better that instead of having toil like this, right, you have work and you have a little rest. There's balance, There's balance isn't it? Yeah, we can't just work, 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 right? Work doesn't satisfy we just can't work and work. We have to have a balance of rest. But some people say, well, you know, the, the worker, you know, they're only doing it because they're, they, they're coveting. They're envious. And that's sinful. So I'll just, I think I'll just keep back on her life. No, that's, that's foolish, right? There's a balance in work and play, isn't it? Yeah, it's a work. There's a balance. And what I, what I tend to, to find in life, in my own uh, observations, you usually have two types of people. One person who's prone towards not wanting to do very much, and one person who's prone to wanting to do something all the time. And it's a balance, isn't it? It's a balance in my life, right? Just to be balanced and have a balance of work and rest, right? Of work and family time, of work and play time, right? Of making money and bringing home the bacon, but, bring, but being able to balance that with spending time with my family, with my wife and my children. It's a balance, isn't it? Yeah, it's hard. But we should try to find that balance. Look at verse 7 and 8. Solomon, he sees the vanity in working, right? Here's the type of person who works hard every day. Maybe he's too busy to make friends or working too much to have time for his family. He works himself to death, but he has no one to leave it to. This guy, his only family is money. This man, he never stops to think, is it all worth it or not? Because what's he doing? He's too busy working, right? Trying to make the next dollar. He wants more and more and still more. Verse 7 and 8. When his days are over, all he worked for gets taken over by the state. Congratulations, Mr. Jones. The state gets all your belongings. All your hard work goes for what? So what was Solomon's take on this man's life? He says, vanity, right? Remember vanity? What's vanity mean? It doesn't satisfy doesn't satisfy us. For whom am I toiling? For whom are you toiling? That's a good question, isn't it? What are we doing all this for? And of course, as believers, what, what we should answer it rightly, right? By saying 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, right? So whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do it all what? For the glory of God. That's why we do what we do as believers, right? Yeah. Find balance in work and rest. That's something we all struggle with. Yeah. You spend the time with your family? Or are you spending too much time with your family, right? Yeah, there's balance. We need to work. We also need to rest. Thirdly, we should pursue relationships and avoid seclusion. Yeah, the seeing this miser in, in verses 7 and 8 leads Solomon to make other observations in verse 9 through 12. It's better to share our life and work than to try to make it on our own. Two are better than one. It's a familiar passage for most of us, right? Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will help up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will stand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. It's better to have companionship, isn't it? 
In fact, we're designed for relationships from creation, right? From the get-go. Adam, it wasn't good for him to be alone, so God created Eve for him, right? We see this in the Jethro principle as well, right? Moses, he was just overworked, right? And he's told by Jethro, his father-in-law, to, to, to find some other people that can help him in his work. And so he recruited people to work with him. Solomon observes that companionships are good. Relationships are good. And he comes to two conclusions. The first one in verse 9 is, yeah, you can get more done, can't you? Yeah, when you have somebody to help you. You can get more done. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. Yeah, you just get more done. It's just easier having two people working. Also, it's just easier in times of trouble, verse 10 through 12, right? It's just easier when you're going through hard times if you have somebody with you, right? And some are alone, but they haven't chosen to be, right? You have some in nursing homes, right? You all probably know somebody in nursing homes. Sometimes their families, they don't visit them, right? They're alone, they don't want to be. It's not their choice, right? But there are some who choose to be isolated, right? They throw themselves into their work and they live apart from meaningful, intimate relationships. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm just working, you know. Verse 12 tells us that we know two is better than one, but it says three is better than two, right? Companionship's needed. Yeah, we need that. I mean, think about that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, right? Paul used the illustration of the church, the body. Believers were kind of like body parts, right? We all have different body parts. I mean, we have, all of us have body parts, right? They're all different. They have a different function, but we need each one, right? Paul says that, right? Ear, right? Some of us are ears, right? Some of us are eyes. Some of us are noses. Some of us are fingers. But we need each other. We really do. We need each other. Biblical principle. If you want to see more of that, look, read 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But I, I think about that in regards to our church. And, and we're, you know, we're gathered together here on Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. We have worship time, right? And, um, and, and so people come and, and, and gather, and that's good because you're, you're, you're singing truth-filled songs. You're hearing, good, you know, hopefully, biblical teaching from truth from the Word, um, and it's encouraging you. It's empowering you, and we need that. But, but I think about how important small groups are. They're important for this reason. Because there's not a lot of relationship building going on on Sunday morning. So I know our goal and my goal as a church is to get most of our people involved in small group where you can develop intimate relationships, where you can have accountability, where you can ask people, have people ask you what's going on in your life. They can, I say, get into your business. Say, well, I don't really want anybody in my business. Well, but you need somebody in your business. You do. You need somebody to ask you tough questions about life. How are you doing? How's your relationship, right? Are you spending time with your wife? Are you spending time with your kids? How's your temper? We need that, right? Are you taking your thoughts captive? We, 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 need, we need that. We need people to know what's going on in our lives. So we should pursue relationships in that regard. And for our church, we're going to be working on that to strengthen our small groups and have our people involved in small we need that accountability. We should pursue relationships. We should avoid seclusion. And fourthly, verses 13 through 16, popularity is fleeting. Look at, look at this text. It talks about a, a, a king, right? 
but it was a poor and wise youth and an old and foolish king. Here's a king who had kind of got cantankerous and rigid in his old age, thinking he knew everything and he didn't want any more counsel, right? And then you have this rags to riches story, right? This young man who was poor, but he becomes king. But notice the conclusion. Verse 16, there was no end to all the people, all who all of whom he led, yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this is also what? Vanity, striving after the wind. Yeah, there's a this this popular king. He came from nothing to become king, but yet in the end they said this this is fleeting, right? It's vanity. Because what's going to happen is this man is, is going to be although right now everyone loves him, soon. He's going to be just like vanilla ice and mullets and lava lamps. Yeah, who wants a lava lamp? No one wants a lava lamp. Those things are horrible. You know? Any mullets? I'm looking around and saying, have anybody got a mullet today? Not many people wearing mullets. But back in our day, my day, I had one. You didn't have a mullet, brother. You wasn't cool, bro. <laughs> Bo had one. He had one. I know I saw it. <clears throat> yes, you're just kind of the flavor of the month, aren't you? That pursuing approval of man, right? And Solomon is concluded, man, it's just vanity. It doesn't satisfy us. It's empty. Yeah, just... It doesn't, I mean, you see it, you see it don't you? Uh, in, in, in the on political scene as well, right? You just see it. Um, popularity is fleeting. It's, it's all vain. And lastly, lastly, jump back to chapter 3. Uh, you say, well, you're, you're jumping kind of out of order today. Well, I'm trying to end on a good positive note, right? Because it's kind of, Solomon, he's kind of depressing reading through some of this stuff, right? But he's just realist. And, and some of the thoughts he has, it, it, it's thoughts we have. You know, it's like the oppressed, like, yeah, it's better they not been born. You and I, we have the same thoughts. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's depressing, right? Let's be encouraged. Chapter twelve, I mean chapter three, verses twelve and thirteen. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. See, Solomon, he's not faithless. He's just struggling, wrestling with the problems of life. Kind of like we are, right? Look at verse twenty two of chapter three. Again, he says the same thing. So I saw that there is nothing better than a, that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So my last point is enjoy God's graces, knowing that his purposes will be accomplished. You say, well, earlier we read about you know the animals, you know, and we're men are like animals, and, and our fate is death, and our days are numbered. And that that's true. How can we enjoy life? How can we enjoy all these graces, as you call them? Well, Lee Tankersley, he's a pastor in Jackson, Tennessee. He tells an illustration I want to share with you. I think it's helpful. He says, what if you're, you're giving video games? Hey, you listen. I know you like video games. What if you're giving video games and you're, you're told that you could go in this room and you have big screens and you have all these your favorite video games. You're told, just play your video games. But sometime during the day, someone's going to come in and something very big is going to happen. It's going to change your life. But you have to stay here and wait. But sometime today, 
something big is going to happen in your life. And you don't know where big is good or big is bad, right? You don't know if it's a good thing. You're just going to change it for the better or for the worse. But you're told to sit in that room and oh, just enjoy yourself. If you love video games, your favorite thing to do is just play video games. What would happen? Would you enjoy the video games? No. You would pick them up, maybe, but would you be able to focus? No, you wouldn't be able to focus, would you? It would be impossible to keep your mind focused because all you're thinking about is this future event. It's something that may happen, right? Your longing to know more would keep you preoccupied. You wouldn't be able to enjoy the task at hand. You wouldn't be able to enjoy the video game. You know, lost cause. You're just thinking, like, what's going to happen? Is it going to be good? Is it going to be bad? Soon my life going to be changed forever? Well, that could be a good thing, right? Or it could be bad. So Solomon, he's given us this impossible task, hasn't he? Oh, just enjoy the things that God's giving. He's telling about all the horrible things going on in the world, the injustice, impending death, oppression, right? Working, 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 and, and not having anybody to leave it to, and all these things. And he's given us this really difficult task. It's really impossible to do. Apart from a relationship with Jesus. Apart from a relationship with Jesus, enjoying God's graces is it's impossible. It's impossible. So, this is our close by way of application. How do we apply this text to our lives? Well, I think first for the unbeliever, again, the, the, it's, you say, man, you're a broken record because you, you're saying the same thing over and over again. And so I'm going to say it over and over again. I'll keep saying it over and over again. For the unbeliever, the solution, how you enjoy these graces that God's pouring out in our lives daily is, is first of all just to repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Stop living for yourself and, and, and turn and, and, and say, I want to live for, for God. Repent and trust Jesus' work on the cross as your own. Jesus died for sinners. He died in the place of sinners on the cross. He died for sinners and he was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave. And the Bible says that if sinners will turn from their sin and they'll trust Jesus' work as their own, their relationship, that broken relationship will be restored. There will be reconciliation. And forgiveness will be given. You'll be sealed with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing your eternal destiny in heaven with God forever. And what he'll do is he'll open your spiritual eyes and you'll begin to see a little more clearly his purposes in life. Now, will all your answers, your questions be answered? No. This is Solomon. He's not faithless. He's just dealing with the struggles and frustrations of life. I'm a believer. I'm a pastor. And I have frustrations in life. We're not rescued from all of those. But I can say when I have frustrations, when I have difficulties, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, God, this is for my betterment and for your glory. Because everything that happens, you're solidly reigning over. You're providentially watching over everything that happens. And it's all for my betterment and your glory. So, if you've never repented, I just want to challenge you, encourage you this morning. Repent. Turn from your sin. And trust Jesus. He rose from the grave on the third day for sinners. If you repent and trust Him, He'll forgive you. You can begin to enjoy the good graces He's given. What about for, for believers? 
What about for us? I think just encourage you, seek to enjoy His, His graces. Even though your life may be frustrating, enjoy those little sweet times. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.